and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who will spoil his lady friend, but he will not spoil the ending of that one movie that you keep putting off trying to see. You don't want any spoilers. He won't do it for you. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing good, Kieran. Doing all right. This is what our final regular season podcast. When we do this thing next week, the year is going to be over. I can't decide. It's October, it, dude. Can't decide. It feels like a week or a, a lifetime or a weird blend of both. What a year! Uh, yeah, what a year. Um, unfortunately, we're not saying that sentence in a way that other franchises are, such as the Seattle Mariners. Congrats to the Seattle Mariners. Congrats to Matthew Boyd. I don't know if you guys saw his emotional interview in the locker room amidst the celebration of making the uh, postseason. Uh, I mean, man, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than what a guy. I mean, we already knew this, but just like another example of what a guy and uh, the type of guy that you'd love to have on your baseball team. That's not a criticism of the fact that he's not a Tiger right now, but just in general, just shout out Matthew Boyd for just being an amazing person. Yeah, good for Matt. It was another. It was a, we we couldn't go through the last full week, Cody, of of the 2022 Tigers without just having a like a little injury thing, and we'll we'll get to that, and B just something weird, and and this one this moment this week brought to you by brought to you by one. Harold Castro. So he has the walk-off, the celebration. Uh, actually, we probably shouldn't call it a walk-off. It was a sprint-off because he literally sprinted away from his teammates, away from the Bally crew, and into the dugout. And I was like, okay, maybe he just doesn't want to get doused. Maybe he doesn't want pie in the face. You know, you know whatever. You know, it, some people are just kind of, you know, weird like that or whatever, like Beltre with his head and you know, all that stuff. But then you and your fellow beat writers kind of say like, oh, Harold, you know, politely, I guess, like refused to speak to the media. He hadn't spoken to the media since like May 18th, I believe is what uh, what you guys put out there. And to my knowledge, that was the first time that was kind of brought to the forefront. And so... It kind of put, I wouldn't say it put a damper, but it just kind of put like a a weird wrinkle on what was otherwise, look, you know, the Tiger season is what it is, but a walk-off win's a walk-off win. It's exciting, it's at home, you know, all that stuff. We, we, we couldn't just have, we, you know, this is why we can't have nice things. We couldn't just have normal things here. Couldn't just enjoy the walk-off. We have to kind of read in between what's going on here. He did speak to the media the next day. So, uh, seeing as you were man on the scene Cody I'm just kind of curious uh how that how that went down from your vantage point and also some maybe some behind the scenes on Harold just not speaking to the media I guess yeah I think it was kind of an example of things just reaching a little bit of boiling point Harold was already on his way out of the clubhouse by the time beat writers were were getting in and so he was kind of in the hallway and we stopped and we're like hey Harold do you have a second and he just shook his head 
And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. That's like what twenty minutes? Like yeah, like, d- depend. Thirty. Well, like AJ is pretty fast post games. Probably more like ten, fifteen. I bet. Probably, probably okay. fifteen, twenty. So quick dresser. Uh, quick dresser. Yeah, he's out of there. Um, and we're like, hey, Harold, do you have a second? He just shakes his head and keeps walking. And this is uh. No exaggeration, probably at least the 10th consecutive time he has he has refused to speak with the media. I think uh, politely declining is quite generous. It's normally just a shake of the head or a no and then puts his head down. Um, I once watched one beat writer ask him to talk post-game and Harold just sat there and acted like he didn't hear it. Um, and the same thing has happened in, in pre-game. Um so I know a lot of fans out there don't really care if players don't talk to the media. It doesn't really affect um, fans directly. But here is why it is important. Um, you know, there's long been a culture in, in baseball clubhouses and most pro sports clubhouses that you have to be accountable for your performance, for the good things that happen, for the bad things that happen. Um, you're a professional. It's kind of part of the job description. Um, and I think... A few things that, you know, for for two years, reporters did not have access to the clubhouse. We only talked to players via Zoom. I think some of that culture, perhaps the relationship um, between media and players may be eroded, especially for young players. Maybe they're not really used to what it's like having beat writers around before and after games. I think, um, especially in the case of, of this Tigers team, uh, there are some guys who are do a great job and will stand there and answer questions no matter what. Tucker Barnard and Eric Haas come to mind. They have sat there and talked uh, at loss after loss this season, answered tough questions, uh, usually not just about their own performance, but about the entire team. Two rookies, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, have done a great job of this. And so that night when Harold declines, we walk into the clubhouse and a lot of guys weren't there, weren't dressed yet. And the cameras just kind of went up to Riley and it was like, Riley, talk about Harold. And I was kind of standing back there like, man, I don't think this is really fair for Riley Green. Here this guy is a rookie and he's being asked to yet again answer postgame questions. At least it was after a win this time, but about his older teammate who consistently declines to talked to the media, Torkelson did the same thing. Um, it kind of comes back to a culture of accountability. Like I said, there, there are some guys in this clubhouse who do a good job. There are at least a couple notable examples of guys who do not. And Harold being the biggest one. And I think the biggest thing with Harold is there's no real explanation. Uh, another thing about being in a big league clubhouse, you're expected to act like an adult in there. You're expected to know how to handle yourself. You can't be in there acting like a fool. It doesn't fly from, from like a media perspective. And I think the relationships we try to foster with players, hopefully that goes both ways. And if you have a problem, um, at least just speaking for myself, I'm more to have more than happy to go off the record and talk about it like an adult. You know, if you're mad about something we wrote, like we have to be accountable for what we write as well. The strange thing with Harold, there was no explanation. There was no conversation. It was like just suddenly kind of a cold war with the media. And it's a little hilarious because this isn't Miguel Cabrera. This isn't some star. This is Harold Castro. Like this is hitting the Herald. And it's like, why? Like, why? You're probably not doing yourself or your own brand any uh, any help by not talking to the media. You are not um, a high-profile enough player to really be getting away with this. 
And it wasn't like we were just trying to talk to him after something bad. We were talking to him after the guy hit a, uh, what, a, a game-time single in the 8th and then a walk-off hit, you know, in, in the 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, he declines. This has been going on all year. We finally kind of decided to make it public. And, you know, I think because that's the one uh, kind of power, not, not power is a very generous word, but that's the one thing we can do as beat writers. And sure enough, it worked because the next day, uh, another writer goes up to Harold, kind of out of principle. Hey, Harold, would you talk today? Harold, after getting, uh, you know, kind of exposed for not talking, uh, talks. He talks. And guess what? He's great. He's very nice. He gets asked on the record, uh, is there a reason that you haven't talked to this? He says, no, I have no problem with you guys. Sometimes I'm just in a hurry to like go see my family. Which I would almost buy, except he does the same thing pregame, so that's not entirely true. But if look, I'm sure he wanted to get out of the clubhouse and go see his family the other night. I don't, I don't, can't blame the guy for that. You know, I'd like to go get out of the clubhouse and go see my friends or family a lot of the time. Um. Anyway, cameras go off, and I go up to Harold. I'm like, hey man, I just want you to know if if there's ever a problem, we can talk off the record. We can talk like two human beings. Harold's very nice. He, like, put his hand on my arm. He's like, yeah, yeah, thanks, bro. So I was like, okay, this seemed to be a very amicable ending to a rather, like, childish saga that went on for months for no real reason with Harold Castro, who, let's be honest, no one outside of Detroit, like, even really knows who he is. Um, But then some team personnel got upset that he was asked on the record about, like, why haven't you talked with the media? And I thought that was also uncalled for, overstepping, basically saying what to ask, what not to ask. Um, And it was part of the story because Harold had dodged the media for months for no reason. Again, I'm sure it doesn't impact the common fan, but I think this goes back to another thing. If this team ever gets good, like there are a lot of things that are not going to fly. This would not fly in New York or Boston or LA. Um, I think the Tigers, like players and and some other things like kind of gotten away with little stuff like this because the team's just not good. People aren't dying for every little nugget of information. Um, and if other players see Harold, oh, if Harold doesn't talk to the media, I don't have to talk to the media. Well, then suddenly no one's talking to the media. Then as fans, you guys aren't going to get to know the players, hear their thoughts. That's my long explanation of the saga. I thought it was really silly and but seemed to come to a good resolution for the most part Harold to his credit was um very nice and, and professional the day after all this went down huh <sighs> okay yeah there's a couple things I kind of want to touch up on and uh emphasize uh number one y- you mentioned it but if if anyone thinks that this is you know, whiny journalist or whatever. It's a two-way street. You've written things critical of people, and what do you, what do you what do you do? You don't not show up to the next game or availability, right? You go. You like there's a professional standard at play there, right? And so, I just want I don't know. I just want people to realize that this is not you are not asking, and your fellow beat writers are not asking anything of these players that you yourself wouldn't do right and and so i think that's important to note number two it's just odd that 
it would be Harold Castro of all people, like you said, hitting Harold. Uh, does anyone have a negative opinion of Harold Castro? Like, maybe people think, oh, he's not that good, like, overall, but no one, like, like, if he strikes out, people aren't going to Twitter and be like, freaking Harold Castro. Maybe people laugh about him batting cleanup, but that's, like, a different thing. It's not necessarily specific to him. You see what I'm saying? Like, he is overall, like, a popular player. You know, he's a role guy. Detroit sports fans love to kind of attach themselves to role players for all their teams. And he fits that mold. Like, I like when we did that list of the 40-man, I called him a cockroach. It's like, you're not going to be able to get rid of him. I meant that in the best way, right? Maybe that's why he won't talk to me. <laughs> Kieran Steckley called me a cockroach. <laughs> Look, man, if he actually said that, I w- that might be the best compliment I've gotten on this podcast because <laughs> you have to be really deep into listening to have to bring that up to Harold or him listening to himself. Um, and another thing, too, is that I I like what you mentioned there about the ramifications. Like it's kind of unfair. Like there's, like if you're you're a team, you don't want to hang your teammates out to dry, right? In any situation. And if Riley Green and Spencer Torgelson, you know Green, at least he's a guy who's like well on his way to being the face of the franchise in general. But like Spencer Torgelson's a guy who's had to battle the baseball demons all year. You know, like, I'm sure if there's a time where he doesn't have to have the strobe, not the strobe light, but the camera light in his face, the microphone in his face, like, that's probably a little bit of a relief for him because he's been in the spotlight so much this year for a lot of the bad reasons. And to me, like, I just don't, that doesn't necessarily vibe well with me to leave those kind of guys out to dry. And at the same time, I give him credit. Same thing with uh, Tucker and Eric Haas, especially a guy who is not an everyday starter, you know, having to kind of sit there and answer everything. Is that really fair? Is that how you want your team's message to be brought? And it's nothing against Eric, but you know what I mean. Like, you want the, the faces of the franchise, the guys with the biggest paychecks, to be the ones out in front. Like, if you're gonna be on a billboard i think you should talk to the media after a game after a loss and you know if you got a walk-off win that was a day game right if my memory serves so it's like you know you got time you got time it was, it was a night, oh, it was game. A night game my it was bad game. yeah yeah so i mean if you're if your face is gonna be on that billboard i think you ought to uh you gotta well, be able I don't know to know harold hitting harold's on any billboards but no, I mean, um, I was... But that goes like, like Miguel Cabrera, too. you know, yeah. I, I probably a little better than people give him credit for, but Miguel never has been front and center post-game, like the the voice of the team, really. And to his credit, Javi Baez, a lot better than people give him That's credit what I was for. He's not, he's not, like, front and center. He's not, like, around a lot. But if you wait him out, if you go to his locker... I have not seen Javi turn down a post-game interview request all year, and he's answered questions all year, variations of, like, why are you not playing better? And he's stood there, and he's been accountable, and he hasn't made excuses. He's not outward. He's not really the voice of the team. I, that, I think that's another problem. This team kind of lacks that personality, both on the field and behind the scenes. But overall, Javi's taken a lot of heat this year, and he's been accountable for it. But Harold Castro can't can't. Talk about how he hit a walk-off? Come on. 
Yeah, and I guess to trend. Harold, by the way, I saw this come up. Harold, English, I believe, is his second language. Uh, I try to absolutely be cognizant of these guys. The Tigers have uh, their bilingual media relations coordinator, Carlos Guillen. The other. I believe he is one of the best. Yeah, not the former player. I believe he's one of the best interpreters in the entire league. Very good at his job. So if for any reason, Harold did not want to speak in a second language. Um, he has a very good interpreter he could work through. Uh, but in my experience around Harold and in the interview we finally did, his English is is quite good and quite polished. Um, I certainly try to be understanding of the language gap because I can't imagine having to talk in a, a, a second language. Absolutely. And my words were going to be, you know, tweeted and written and broadcast. Um, but just so the fans out there know, like, the option is there. Um, if he were more comfortable speaking in Spanish, he can certainly go that route, I guess you could argue it's still not as uh, authentic going through an interpreter. Um, but to my knowledge, that never played any sort of role in Harold's <laughs> refusal yeah. to, to talk with the press. Yeah, and, you know, the whole, like, press interviews and accountability thing, that's, it's, as you said, it's kind of like part of being a professional. That's kind of like the word that I keep going to, and... I think this generation, our generation, looks at the media a lot differently than previous generations, and and that has wide-ranging aspects that obviously we're not going into, but there, that's also, I think this Herald thing is kind of a microcosm of, you know, the state of media as with public perception, in a way. Uh, I'm glad you brought up bias. I want to just spend a little... A little bit on it because you did point it out on Twitter. You can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I myself am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Is it one of those things where we, you know, we've give, we've been giving out some flowers a little bit on this podcast recently? Is it is, is bias being you know available given the season, team, and personal? Is it worth is it worth giving him some flowers for that? Because as I mean, we we just spent 10, 15 minutes about a guy who had something good who didn't want to talk to the media, and there's been a lot of bad for bias this year. Is it one of those things where, you know, if we're looking to cling on to some intangible stuff with the team moving forward, that at least that's in the positive end of the spectrum? I mean, I think so. He's he's far from the most accessible player in the league, but like I said, post game, good or bad, he sat there and he's He's been willing to talk. I have not seen him decline a post-game interview. Pre-game, he's not really around, or he doesn't like to talk pre-game, but credit where credit is due, man. That can't be easy, and he's he's done it, and he hasn't made excuses. I do think that's an underrated thing that the, that the average person doesn't realize about Javi Baez, that maybe even we as the media should like appreciate a little more when we think about our perception of, of Javi. Well, since we're on the topic, real quick, uh, and we've and and you've mentioned it a couple times, uh, the whole pregame aspect, uh, to, like availability, like how do you kind of approach that? Because uh, it is it is probably one of the weirder aspects I would imagine of the job because because this is it doesn't happen in football, but in basketball it happens. I had a weird encounter with Skylar Diggins when I was covering her with the Tulsa Shock. She didn't want to talk to me, and I was like. Really, I'm the only reporter in town. You want to talk to me during your pregame warmups? She was going to be named an all star that day. It was like, it was, I was me doing prep work for a breaking news story. Uh, and then 
basketball locker rooms are available and but it, but it is also a weird thing because guys have their routine they want to get ready you know that this is their job being played out in front of hundreds thousands you know potentially millions of people depending on the team and the and the game or whatever um so as a reporter how do you kind of approach if you want to do something like pre-game because i feel like that's probably one of the more awkward aspects of of your job yeah, it's it's inherently awkward. It's it's a strange setup. They just open the locker room and you can be in there for about 50 minutes every day. And, you know, one of my my mentors, T.R. Sullivan, who used to cover the Rangers, said I've been doing this 38 years and I've never felt comfortable in a major league clubhouse. Um, and T.R. was was not shy about going up to guys, but he would, you know, it's just not comfortable. I definitely feel that um, right when I started started to think I was getting comfortable, starting to been around a couple years, have some relationships with a few players. A lot of the guys I knew either got traded or released <laughs> or hurt. And then this team has been very bad. And sometimes I go in there now and it's like, you know, sometimes I feel bad for just standing and not talking to guys. And I know players do not like reporters kind of like loitering in, in their space. The, the Baseball Writers Association of America fights for clubhouse access because it does allow you to build um, relationships, to maybe talk to guys casually, talk to guys face-to-face. There's absolutely more of a human aspect to it than there is, say, the NFL or covering college football. It's like they bring a guy up to a podium and you yell some questions at him and he gives you cliche answers and then that's that. And there's, there's not really that like give and take. There's not really this, like I was talking about with Harold, hey, if you have a problem... Like, let's talk about it like two adults. Um, can't really do that in, like, college football. You can do that in baseball. I think that's one of the, the reasons this sport has. Uh, I think it's probably been covered more. Like, there's a mythology around kind of baseball writing and, and baseball media. And obviously it stems back a century, but uh, that still exists today. Um, I think the depth of coverage in the game is, is still pretty unique. So all that said, it's still weird me being a more modern era writer, like I wouldn't be super opposed if we looked at like changing this structure. Cause it's weird just having to stand there in mm-hmm. these dudes dressing rooms for 50 minutes is that you bring a guy out in the hallway, you get guys out on the field. I maybe that still worries me like, okay, then does that eventually turn into like the college football setup at the same time? The other, the main thing is just people not being in there because guys do, they have their routines, they go in and out. Some guys are just like, oh, the press is in here. We're going to go hide out in the massage room or the, the cafeteria until they leave. And so it's, it's kind of count like timeless. There's a dude you want to talk to. You go in the clubhouse, everyone's there by him, you know, <laughs> and then you're just standing there. It's like any time, um, so I wonder if there's a way to make it maybe a shorter time period, but guys have to be available, have to be at their lockers. Maybe it's only 15, 20 minutes. I think that would be more productive than I waste almost an hour of my day kind of standing there a lot of the time. I don't like that. Uh, I do like being able to interact with players face to face, not having everything be so stilted. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a point in time where, where maybe this starts to change a little bit and the old guard of baseball writers is very protective of that. I'm certainly protective of, of access in general, but it is such a weird setup that I've started to think that maybe it could be altered in a way that is um, 
more comfortable for the players and ultimately I'm not wasting as much of my time just like pacing around this weird environment. <laughs> yeah, well again, if if you ever want to know what the what merits this access being a thing, just read Cody's work on the athletic being a subscriber if you're not you should subscribe and honestly your colleague james does a great job of this as well building personal relationships and it's because of those face-to-face interactions yeah and a lot of the best it's not just like a lot of the best stories rarely do you just quote unquote get like a lot of it comes through you get to know guy over time you know and then you you learn more about him and that's how you get some of the best in-depth human coverage or that's how you get to understand who this athlete is, the best way to talk about the things they're doing, good or bad, maybe some feature story that has nothing to do with sports, probably generally comes from a result of having that in-person access to begin with. Exactly. And again, if you're going to tell somebody something personal, you want to be able to trust them, right? And that's really the only right. way to, right. to build trust. So uh, we'll transition here to, I guess, the other big news of the week. The Tigers shut down Matt Manning. Uh, we're not, he had, what was it, forearm and, 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 and arm fatigue. Not going to really talk about that because there's been a couple lessons this year. I don't know if you paid attention, everybody, that, uh, those words are meaningless right now. So I kind of wanted to, you wrote about it on The Athletic and there were a couple things in there. Like I, I went into it trying to figure out what I thought about Matt Manning, right? Just read your story and then, you know, think about my own observation and I, it's weird. I have more questions than answers, but I feel better about everything than I did coming into the season. So just a couple numbers that you put in there, we'll, I'll read off real quick. Uh, on his fastball, batters are hitting it less than 200. Um, it's a negative eight run rate. Which is, uh, you know, negative eight. It's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. You, you like that? However, he's not striking. In Sixty-three innings. He would, he would probably have one of the best performing fastballs in the league had he, had he had a full workload yeah. this year. Or batters would have adjusted to the rest of the arsenal. <laughs> isn't that great? But we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, and uh, but less than seven Ks per nine. You want that higher, obviously, especially if you're someone whose uh, scouting report, the majority of your professional career has been using terms like hammer curveball, you know, and 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 to use a Jim Price term, airplane fastball or whatever. Uh, and so also his slider, I'm trying to read my own notes here, 35.8% whiff rate, I believe, is what you put in there. So there's some good, and then we know the inconsistencies. We know the command issues. My question is this. Do we have, it's so weird because he was uh, a call-up out of necessity last season and then obviously the injury issues this year. It's so weird how I'm phrasing that, but here we are. Do we have enough of a sample size with Matt Manning in order to put him, like for the organization, to put him in a lane and say, we're riding this way now? Because when you're a prospect, you're still developing, you're you're tweaking things, you're you know, trying to add a pitch, maybe, maybe you don't go to this pitch as much, hence curveball, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out like what your arsenal is, what your go-to is. I'm wondering if we can now kind of slot him or the, the Tigers can slot him 
in a direction and just kind of keep the bumpers on the bowling lane uh if you would and just kind of ride that direction instead of trying to figure out is he going to be this kind of pitcher is he going to be that kind of pitcher you you see what i'm saying like do we have enough of a sample size to where it's like all right this is what we know we can do and we're gonna we're gonna ride this way and maybe we might veer here or there to try to add some stuff but we're sticking at we're sticking here now does that make sense yeah, it does, and this gets back to one of the other oddities of my job, because as much as I talk about trying to appreciate the human element, as much as the favorite part of my job is writing human interests, features, stories, uh, another part of my job is just analyzing what happens on the field, and this year, especially when you cover a team that's going to lose 95-plus games, um, that means you're not always saying pretty things. That probably hasn't... I really haven't heard anything uh, from players other than when Gregory Soto got mad that I said he wasn't, quote, the best fielding pitcher. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, that probably hasn't been great for some of my relationships around the organization. So I've been pretty critical this year because if I were not being critical, I would be lying to you guys. Mm-hmm. One of my other core tenets is to just tell the truth. So with Matt Manning... I think we've learned a couple things. We've learned this guy can pitch at the big league level. His fastball can dominate at this level. He threw seven scoreless innings twice this season. I think we are also seeing and kind of hearing the old guard was like, oh, Matt Manning, you know, super talented. This guy could have the highest ceiling of of any of our young pitchers. He could be like an ace. Uh, I've never really bought into that, and I think um, some of the – the newer members of the front office or, or, or the organization probably feel that way. I don't know what Scott Harris thinks, but I imagine if Scott Harris is coming in and taking a look at this guy, it's like, eh, we're hoping this is probably more of a mid-rotation starter here who every now and then when he's really on can be something nice. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a valuable piece to have. Absolutely. I start to wonder if Matt Manning's ceiling isn't more of a three or four, unless there are major changes or developments in his arsenal, but he's, he's not, even though in my article, I point out he is only 24. So that's worth considering. He's also been in the organization a long time now, six years. And I guess now his slider is a second pitch forever. His curveball was a second pitch. Now it's a slider. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's almost unusable. His changeup is just kind of there. Now his curveball opponent's, I think 310 against the curveball. It's not the same pitch it was when he was coming up. I just think his I just think his arsenal can be too one-dimensional or two-dimensional. Said that about Matt Manning for a long time. Hasn't not necessarily gotten better. Sometimes I wonder, could he go like fastball, hard cutter, uh, kind of a slower slider? I mean, I, I don't know. Chris Fetter knows way better than I do. Um but I think we are seeing both the good and some of the possible limitations with Matt Manning. And then there are the health concerns. This guy was shut down in 2020 with the forearm strain, um, obviously missed the bulk of this season with shoulder discomfort and now another forearm strain. Don't know, don't want to speculate, but generally when you see a guy having repeated arm injuries, that can be a precursor to eventually kind of some bombshell is going to come. And I think, I'm starting to get worried about that with Matt Manning, just as we were with Casey Mize before him. Yeah, uh, I encourage everybody, if you haven't, 
to go ahead and read the article because you have a nice little graphic. Well, you have several nice graphics, but one of them is his pitch use percentage. And uh, the fastball is pretty high, and everything else is pretty low, pretty low. And I do think he feels like a guy to me that has maybe one of those guys where you can somewhat tell what kind of outing is going to be pretty early. Uh, if he's commanding those off speeds, you, you, you feel pretty good. And by the way, there have been some pretty good outings of late. Like that, that is worth noting. But when it, when it feels like he's aiming and not throwing, that kind of plays itself out pretty, uh, pretty early in his outings. And you can just tell that like the competitor that he is, it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of like it's like he's digging his heels in about uh, about whether it's the slider or the changeup or whatever and when that happens he 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 tends to kind of fold on himself a little bit so i am encouraged by Matt Manning because whenever it's a prospect whenever it's a guy that's a former first round pick and you hear things like future ace and then Things are a little shaky, a little rocky. You know, he didn't come to the major leagues under the best of circumstances, as I said. If you can find, if if you found yourself a number three, I'm not really sure there's any complaining to be done. Uh, even if he was like a first round pick, you got to keep in mind the type of first round pick he was. Overall, I feel a lot better about Matt Manning, but I would, and again, Fetter, Hinch, Harris, all these people know way more than, than I do. But I think it might the, – the reason I asked that whole question to begin this is, like, I think it might be time to just kind of find the lane and then just kind of move forward there as opposed to figuring out – I think I, I wrote down in my notes uh, what he is instead of what he could be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, again, 24, at what point do we really apply labels to people? But the underlying metrics are not very good. For a guy known as a power pitcher, he has a low spin fastball. I think it's his long arms, his extension that make that pitch play up so well. Um, but like the the coachability is part of it too. Just again, like Matt Manning, he's not known as the most. Uh, you know, he's out of the like the Mize Manning school. He's probably like the most stubborn. He's probably like the less naturally intuitive pitcher. And I don't, I mean, look, it's easy to overthink. I've been around guys like Matt Boyd and Daniel Norris who are smart and savvy and care so much about development. And then they get on the mound and you can see it's like, okay, you're thinking too much. Yeah. So maybe Matt Manning just being a little more of a bulldog can work to his advantage in game. At the same time, I wonder if that too is, uh, tells you a little bit about why he's been in this system a long time now and is still very much a, a work in progress development wise. So, like, another thing, Cody, that was crossing my mind as I'm reading your article and, you know, going back and thinking things through, and as I often do, was, oh, boy, uh, really got to solidify this catcher situation because, you know, <laughs> I'm reading about the inconsistencies and, like, so I'm immediately thinking, like, Oh man, that is so much for whoever's you know calling the game, Tucker or Eric or whatever, to try to like figure out this young dude who's trying to figure himself out, and it's like, ah, 
crap. I could only imagine, like, oh, crap, the slider ain't there today. Uh, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and, you know, that's the benefit of having a veteran like uh, like Tucker and the benefit of, you know, Ericos, who I think, I don't know, this is not my specialty. I think he calls fine games, you know? Like, I don't know if I'd brag about it, but I don't feel, like, not worried about it, I guess, if, is a way to phrase it. Um, in regards, to, so a got to solidify this catcher position. That's the number one thing. And I went and because I wanted to torture myself, I went and looked at the free agent catchers available, and I was like, "Ooh boy, uh, nothing really. Uh, some guys that can hit, but you know, not a whole lot of uh, pitching developers, I would say." Or at least ones that are that do are also really old, um, and I thought you know, among the maybe maybe the many things that Al Avila screwed up during his time, not to have him catch some strays here, but it's like you know if uh, maybe if you're gonna make the rebuild on pitching, there ought to be like second or third emphasis ought to be on getting like like a like a franchise catcher. Which, as we discussed, is a easier said than done. Well, I don't, I don't know if you heard, Kieran. There was this <laughs> trade once. Uh, they got they got this catcher, you know. They... I was like that because that obviously didn't happen, uh, and we're probably going on year four, five, or whatever of one year contract catchers or whatever. Uh, and even if it is Tucker again, I'm still going to kind of consider it the same thing. So it'll be like a one year deal or whatever. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not going to be. All right. Tucker. Well, there you go. So we can eliminate Tucker from, from the possibility, I guess for now. But, uh, that was my other, that was my other thought, Cody. I was like, man, really would like to solidify catcher. You got, you know, cause even outside of Matt Manning, you're still going to have, you know, who knows what Spencer Turnbull looks like when he comes back and whenever Scooble and Mize come back, if they do next season, uh, what does that look like? I mean, God, really need to solidify that catcher, Cody. That was my other thought. <laughs> yeah, and I have no earthly idea how you're going to do that. That's kind of my thought at a few different positions, third base notably included here. I also uh, thought Scott that. Harris is going to earn whatever they're paying him, man, because... You can either just roll the dice and get another mediocre option in the free agency. You can pray to God that Jake Rogers comes back next year and hits and that Eric Haas continues hitting and he's basically kind of becoming like a platoon bad who's okay-ish behind the plate, not really great defensively. Or can you pull off some sort of amazing trade? I don't know. You got to pray Dylan Dingler becomes the guy. I don't know about that. I don't know what the answer is there. Since they they never interviewed me to be president <laughs> of baseball operations, I, I guess I won't even opine too much on it for now because I, you know, I, I was willing to help. I was willing yeah. to offer my services, and I guess they weren't wanted. Yeah. So, I, you know, Chris wouldn't return your calls, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th- I'm glad you brought up third base too because I was as I was like prepping for this pod, I was like. We're about to roll out the same at five and two, you know. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I also think one of the things that, that probably already has been determined, if you go in with the mindset of, well, maybe Jamer will have a better year. Well, maybe Tucker will have a better year. 
both those things are entirely possible. But then suddenly, you're probably doing that with some other guys. And then suddenly, you're running out the same roster. And you just can't do that. And I think that is why... Look, I think we already know Jamer's going to go wherever and he's going to hit like 20 home runs next year. You can, just, <laughs> you can just pencil that in. And I think Tucker can – Tucker's a pro, man. Tucker's a vet. I, th- I hope he goes on to success somewhere else. I think uh, also for their sake, like this has just been a rough environment for them. It's probably best that everyone start fresh. And the Tigers really look into the profile of, of players they're trying to acquire and I, I just don't think you can run it back with guys like that crossing your fingers that things get better. I think that detracts from the idea of actually constructing a better roster for the long term. Well, you said it, uh, you know, when the point that I kept hammering home about Scott Harris was he didn't have to come here, so he was convinced. Now, he was convinced by a couple of things. One of them was probably contract length and monetary compensation so it's just pure speculation on my part he's going to be earning that money here pretty soon so all right uh, let's go to another article cody that you wrote because it was a walk down bad memory lane <laughs> lane uh you god you're so you just hit the nail on the head so often i just want to hit my head against the wall when you're writing it about this subject but you know harken back to Opening day, you know, it's cold, but it's exciting. The free agent signing, uh, Javi Baez delivers. There's hope. Hope springs eternal. Back when I was young and <laughs> naive, optimistic. And then we know what happened from there. So you went ahead and kind of chronicled. It gives you an idea of how long a baseball season is, by the way kind of chronicled uh, the 10 biggest moments of the season. And, I mean, we'll just start off the top right here. It, I always forget, like, how little we actually saw Casey Mize this year. Like, two starts, right? Was it two? Um, and yeah, they had two so. starts and then the whole discomfort and this and that and not really knowing because you can't really know unless you go under the knife you know all that stuff we, we we've we've har- we've harkened back to that you know plenty but uh man what a way to start out the very beginning of a season and that's not even including obviously riley green preseason getting hurt um but you know we, we can be positive for a second the miguel cabrera 3000 hits i'm gonna bring that up a little bit later by the way but the miguel cabrera 3000 hits was obviously a, an amazing moment um one of those things cody that you know you could be a baseball beat writer for you know many many years and you might only witness that twice more like I mean, maybe never again. You know that like that that that's pretty cool. Uh, and obviously, you know the Miguel Cabrera conversation. Um, I guess we're just assuming he's coming back at this point. Do you have anything to add to that? Because I had, um, but this didn't get a ton of uh, traction. But Scott Harris did a radio interview with one Mitch Album in which he was asked directly, "Is Miguel Cabrera like done as a tiger?" And Scott Harris more or less said. Miggy's coming on back. Now, granted, what's he supposed to... He could have given, like, the non-answer, I guess. 
I doubt he was going to be like when Mitch Albom's like morning radio show be like, no, we're forcing him into it's retirement. It's not your best intro to Detroit um, to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I still wonder, like, I don't I looked up, I wrote this down. I don't have it. Miguel Cabrera, since the All-Star break, is hitting about as well as Tom Glavin was a hitter in his career. <laughs> oh, my God. Tom Glavin was a pitcher, so just throwing that out all there. All-famer, though. Uh, he was an all-famer. So I'm just like, are we really going to do this? But Scott said he's already sat down with Miguel, seemed to, uh, seemed to act like, oh, no, he's coming back. That's that's a lot a lot for me to process. I know there are a lot of loyal Tigers fans out there who certainly want to see Miguel Cabrera go out in a dignified fashion. I think the most dignified fashion is he and the team somehow agreeing to some sort of buyout and, and we call this good because it's been really, really ugly since the All-Star break. I'm sure it's possible that after an offseason of rest, Miguel's knee feels a little better in spring training, but uh, number one, you're trying to build a better team and what are we doing with Spencer Torkelson? Like, I, what are we doing in the outfield? I think you're going to need that DH spot. And number two, right now, Miguel Cabrera is, he's hitting about like Tom Gladden. It's on, it's on, it, he's become yeah. not just below league average, he's become unplayable. You're right. And I, you know, it's one of those things where maybe this should have been an internal conversation with the Tigers about a month ago. And then, you know, because now it's like too late to like to have anything dignified that doesn't involve 2023. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's one of those is what it is things. And I also wouldn't, I wouldn't criticize Scott or any guy who took the job that said like, yeah, I'm not going to make this my first move to push this guy out. So I, you know, I, I certainly understand that. Uh, the whole Miguel Cabrera situation is sort of that emoji where it's like flashing the teeth, where it's not really a smile. It's like a nervous, like, eh, yeah. you know, that's exactly how yeah. I feel. So uh, another saga this year was the Eduardo Rodriguez situation, which I guess we've moved past. I mean, it, it seems like that smoothed over a lot easier than I thought it would. Which I guess credit to him. Which, yeah, is, which good. is good. Which credit is to the to the locker room. Credit to him. I assume that this. I, I haven't really said this uh, publicly. Eduardo's been he's been like better since he's come awesome. back. He's just like he, number one. He's around more. He's never gonna be like the world's greatest interview. Be like he's like said like hey how's it going when like we've walked by each other a couple times, which is not something he ever did before. Like he's just seemed in better spirits, so I hope I hope that. Can well, happen. I know, and I don't know how much of this we said on the pod, but I do know, like during spring training, it it just kind of trying to say this in, in a polite way. It just kind of se- felt a little off, is what you had told me. Super strange. And, Super and strange. if if he goes, he has this you know, time away from the team get, so that makes me think that there were issues lingering into the season and, yeah. and, 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 certainly if, makes and you if there's some sort of resolution that has made things better, hopefully, and we're seeing the end result of someone who's been, you know, gotten to the other side, I guess, of, uh, of deeply personal situation, maybe a mental health situation. And, and if he's, again, we're giving flowers out here. Good, good for him for, you know, having that approach and hopefully, Everything in his life continues to, to, to be all well and good. Um, 
Speaking of meetings, I had totally forgotten about this closed door meeting, mainly because it didn't it didn't <laughs> net anything. No, it it accomplished nothing. And it was it was still it was like I it, it actually ended up not being rock bottom. It was probably the closest you could identify to like a rock bottom moment. Thing is the team continued to free fall and if you look back they were only like 9 games under 500 or something at that point in time. Yeah, 12, 24 maybe. and 38. Okay. So it actually got a lot worse, but that was the first like that was kind of the acknowledgement of like this ain't good, and if something does not change, this season is over. Obviously, nothing changed. But by the way, you know, we started this podcast talking about accountability, talking to the media. Who talked that day? Eric Haas. Eric Haas. So it's about the only one. Credit to him. Eric Haas talked. Credit, you know, credit to him. Probably, I would in a perfect world, it wouldn't fall on his shoulders, but it did, and credit to him. Credit. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that was, it, it became a, like, almost like a cliche, like, the closed door meeting, because it didn't change anything. Yeah. Things continued to spiral, as you said. Um, I also didn't realize how soon that was close with I know. Green's debut, three days later. Wow. Right. Did I, get, did I mess up those dates? June, is that right? June fifteenth is I'm reading the story right now. June fifteenth, closed door meeting. June eighteenth. Did you mean July eighteenth? Oh, John. Oh, Riley debuted in June. Okay, June eighteenth the that's debut. Right. Yeah, that's right. June fifteenth, closed door meeting. So it all meshes together. I'm not gonna claim to know this stuff off the top of my head of uh It feels like there's a longer gap, but uh I, I guess I'll trust my own work. Maybe I maybe I messed up the closed door meeting. I don't know. It also like it, I mean it also surprised me that he, again, just all looking back stuff, it kind of surprised me that he debuted that early. Like, it, like well, I said, not that early, but, like, I, it just doesn't feel like he's been in the big league since June 18th in my mind. It really doesn't. And then you look at, well, number at the time, it felt like forever because, you know, he had the foot mm-hmm. and was like, okay, is he going to miss, what, like, six to eight weeks? And then it became, all well, like, early June and then it became mid-June. And then it was like, okay, June 18th. And now you look and Riley has, what, how many has at-bats? He has a large sample of at-bats. One of the wildest things I saw on Twitter this week. Compare Riley Green's rookie year to Akil Badu's rookie year. You know who's the better player? I saw Akil that. Badu, which is maybe not, I'm not really going to, like Riley Green's done nothing but impress me, even though his, you know, he's had 396 plate appearances. It doesn't feel like it for some reason. And then you get in, and it's like, oh, he only has five homers and that many plate appearances. But Riley's showing all the right signs. I still think the guy, the guy's going to be like the next great Tigers player. But it is it is weird to think, wow, Akil Badu is a more productive rookie than Riley Green. Yeah, that is strange. Uh, I almost don't want to. Th- There's like two reasons that I don't want to think about that. Number one, I don't want to just like put in my mind like false hope for Akil Badu. Like I I cuz I want it so bad. I want it so bad because he's such a fun player. Um I you know, in terms of like giving credit, I like that like he allowed you to like come to his hometown and all that stuff. Like I think that's just a sign of like a mature professional, right? And he's so fun to watch. I want it to work out so much, but I don't but then it's like, "Oh, so he can so he can do it." And it's like, "I don't know if he can, but I want it." You know, it's just like all these things rattling around my head. And then of course like, you know, like can you imagine the mood next season if Riley Green puts together a, in 2023 a 2022 Akil Badu season? 
Like that would like we would give up we would give up on life. Like people would lose every like whatever religion you are, you would abandon it. Like <laughs> you wouldn't believe your spouse when they say that they love you. Like if they're just they would just it would just be a dark, dark place. <laughs> All of a sudden, chicken yeah, wings let's, taste Let's bad. not even go down that road and, until it happens. I don't think it's going to happen. One big difference when Akil Badu was in the majors, he had barely played above high A. His his success was like a massive surprise, and then he, he cratered back to earth this year. Riley Green was the top prospect yeah. in all of baseball. All the kid has ever done is hit. I, you know, There will be ups and downs, but uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen with this one. And then, of course, the Torkelson situation oh, torquey torque i don't poor guy i don't know like i don't i don't right when i thought he was figuring it out i wrote a note last monday like encouraging signs from torkel's in he's hitting fastballs a week later he's back to not hitting fastballs at the time of this recording he's in a two for 27 spell his game saturday night or uh excuse me friday night was like his worst probably since coming back i don't Scott Harris, you're earning that paycheck, man. <laughs> I don't think you can feel good about Torque going into spring as being your first baseman. I I don't know. That's that that that's one that's not fun to think about. I think we need to like have a mental image of Scott Harris at the press conference, and then the next time he speaks, and then just every time after that, and see how much more gray he gets. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't think he's going to have boyish looks very much longer. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, of course, the uh, the trade deadline slash Tarek Skubal injury slash before that Tarek Skubal. I just want to give a shout-out to the fans. Uh, <laughs> I, I forgot about that interview somehow. That was so weird. It was all, like, within, like, two days, right? It was, like, a short yeah. window. It was just, like, what is going on here? And, of course, like, you know, I... I had my heart set on Tarek Skubal this year because my bold prediction was he was going to make the all-star team and get the win, you know, and I was feeling pretty good about that. And then he then he didn't crater, but he valleyed, and then he was on the rise again, and he's got to get the Matthew Boyd surgery. Um, and so another, you just have to, you know, hey, Scott Harris, here's a complete unknown about how this is going to play out, you know. <laughs> Congrats on the new job. This guy could have been your ace, and now you don't know what kind of pitcher he's going to be at the other end of the knife. Uh, so, have at it. And then, of course, uh, Alavila being uh, being fired. A uh, long-awaited day for many people. I'm not one to try to trample on people, at least unless I think it's funny. If I think it's funny, I'm going to dick at you. But in terms of I'm not like, you know, Pal's doing well or whatever, you know, I'm sure he's overall a good guy and stuff. I've never met him, but... Um, and then the Scott Harris era began on September 20th. So um, I was kind of thinking, I was like kind of ranking these in my mind of like most significant. I think as we said with the Eduardo thing, hopefully, so that would rank at like the low end because it, hopefully it's a one-off. He's good now. Everything's good with his family. And he's been, you know, once he, once he, when he's on the field, he's as advertised, you know, uh, I guess you kind of have to tie it up with, 
In terms of moving forward, I guess the most significant thing is 3,000 hits for Miguel Cabrera because that's a career achievement. That's, you know, there's only so many people that have done that, and especially when you tie in all the other stats with, like, doubles and home runs and batting averages and all that stuff. Like, he's one of the best of the best, nothing new. I guess that would be the most significant to get that milestone. But in terms of, like, you know, moving forward with the team, you kind of got to have it tied with the schoolboy Mize injury, I feel like, because those are... A, one was a 1-1 pick, and B, those are two guys that you had penciled in to more or less make Eduardo like a really good number three starter in 23 or 24, you know, and and now none of that is anything that you could safely say will happen. I guess you could say if this thing gets turned around, the whole Avila being fired, and then Scott Harris, you know, becoming the GM, that becomes the most significant. But uh, in terms, I guess I'll just kind of keep it on the field, and then the torque one kind of slots in there at like three, four, whatever, depending on whether you want to be positive with the Riley Green debut in terms of like what he'll eventually become, because obviously that would be the most significant. But I guess I'm looking at the things that could go wrong. So I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at. Pitcher injuries to guys that you thought could be ace or ace light, and um, and your other one one pick not being able to do the thing that you thought you could go to the bank that he'd be able to do at this level. So if, if, in your mind, Cody, you kind of look at like what some of the most significant things moving forward. Where does it kind of place you? What What was the question? That was that was a lot. That was a lot to handle. What do you think are some of the more significant uh, moments that you listed there moving forward uh, in terms of the Tigers uh, for 2023 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, pretty much all of them. Most of them still have impact going forward. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, how do those developments pan out? Obviously, the big one is Scott Harris. It's a new chapter for the franchise. What does that look like? I think these 10 moments didn't even get into... Austin Meadows and the the oddness of that saga mm-hmm. and what does it look like for him next year? Um, Matt Manning, you know, now supposedly he's going to be okay, but again, we heard that with my and Scooble, so I'll believe that next time I see Matt Manning step on a mound. Um, I mean, there there are a lot. I think there are going to be a lot of repercussions for this season. A lot of things that make us kind of scratch our heads going into next spring training, and you know, I think the Tigers fan base will probably have a little bit of. I mean, writing this story, man, kind of felt like reliving a little bit of trauma. And I think the Tigers <laughs> fan base will uh, probably have their defenses up. Like, like it's going to be hard to, to believe yeah. again next spring. I do think hope springs eternal. I think that that optimism might come back quicker than people think. But there's there's going to be, you know, it's like after you get your heart broke and you're going into another relationship and you're like, do you, do you really want to open yourself up again? I guess that's what Lions fans like you go through every year, so I don't know what that's like. But, every uh, year. I mean, I, I actually do that with the Cowboys, so, it, yeah, it's it's a rough cycle. Uh, and I read the comments. I don't always read comments on stories because, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, can get kind of ugly. Not necessarily with the athletic, per se, but just in general, like, you know, online comments are generally ugly, right? Uh Man, I mean, there are t- people talking about this was like the most disappointing they've been since like six, since the '60s and all that stuff. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm just more of an optimist. I was like, I don't know if you could re- like, what were you holding on to in the early 2000s, bro? 
Like, what, you know, at least you got Riley Green well, here. I, I think that's why people have called it the most disappointing, because they were expectations. Not necessarily, the, like, the worst and the most disappointing fair. because fair. it was expected to be so much better. Is there a bigger letdown from a Tigers team in the past 50 years? Some people talk about 2005 or, what, 2007 and... Um, yeah, anyway, there have been some other other teams thrown in there, but I that does not surprise me, man. It's hard to imagine a year going much worse and being harder to watch and sit through um, than this one. You know, at least 2019, 2003, you kind of knew that was coming a little bit, and this year, no. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, all right, well, let, let's wrap up here with uh, a little bit of a, a little fun topic, maybe a little soapboxy type topic. Uh, speaking of Miguel Cabrera getting 3,000 hits, uh, everyone will remember that just prior to that, he came up in, was it the bottom of the ninth, bottom of the eighth, key, you know, a couple guys on, but favorite first base was open, and Aaron Boone walked him and that was uh you and i talked about it and i had said that i didn't think because meadows was behind him lefty on the mound i didn't really think it was that great of a baseball move to be honest because meadows is a good hitter even against lefties um and then of course meadows gets a little blue pit and you know it ends up working out in the tiger's favor but there were a lot of Yankee fans. I follow a lot of them. I, 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 I follow the Yankees closely because that's where all my extended family is. They're all Yankees fans. Listen to New York New York podcast because, you know, let's be honest, they're really entertaining. Uh, and there were, you know, things like, look, if you're complaining about Boone walking Cabrera, you can stick that where the sun don't shine. You know, like it's like a, like a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Well, let's fast forward a couple months, and one Aaron Judge is trying to, uh, you know, well, A, when he had 60, you know, trying to hit, well, when he had 59, trying to hit 60, and 61, trying to hit 62, uh, he's been pitched carefully, I would say, and some of it I thought that he was being pitched around, but other, you know, other than that, you know, most the times I've watched, I thought, you know, they're just pitching to a guy who's the best hitter in baseball. (laughs) Like, you know, you're not just lobbing stuff over the plate. And, man, I there has been some crazy hypocrisy from Yankees fans and people who follow the Yankees regarding pitching around somebody when they're on the cups of a milestone. Because keep in mind, uh, the Yankees, you know, they just clinch their division like they're okay. You know, like, we're really only really caring about this record right now. Well, is it a record? You know, we talked about that last week. I looked at at the record book again (laughs) just now, and it still says 73 is the record. Funny. Well, uh, and even, it's not just fans either. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to mispronounce his name. He he does great play-by-play for the Yankees and and, and ESPN for basketball. Ryan Rukuro, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Oh, you'd be, I don't know how to say it, yeah, but I know it's, that's it's, right. it's awful. <laughs> I'm just yeah. not going to attempt yeah. it. To and, uh, and by the way, love him as an NBA play-by-play guy. He's great. He's got a nice podcast with CC Sabathia. He called it shameful for the Orioles to intentionally walk Aaron Judge on Friday night with first base open. Shameful. You have nothing to play for. What are you doing? He called it weak. 
It's like, wow. uh, bro. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there was enough on the. Well, I guess the Orioles are still fighting for their postseason lives. They thought it was the best move. I don't know. I mostly enjoyed watching the uh, the tears of college football fans on Twitter who've been complaining about um, ESPN cutting into Aaron Judge at bats. I don't know, like a big game on a Saturday. Maybe I get that. We're talking a Friday night, Houston-Tulane. If you did not go to Houston or Tulane, I'm sorry. Why are you watching that game or so invested in it in the first place? Go to a bar. Go outside. Have some fun. Hang out with your kids. Play with your dog. Who cares about Houston-Tulane? And college football Twitter was acting like there's a moral atrocity committed by cutting into an Aaron Judge bat. Of course, he got walked. And it's all baseball. so stupid. You spend your Friday night watching Houston-Tulane. I don't want to hear it. I like to I, I tweet this. I like to think the Orioles were just trolling college football fans. <laughs> By the way, if you went to Houston or Tulane, there's a good chance you weren't watching that game anyway because it's not like they have not like they have the most rabid of fan bases. They put that game on a Friday night because they knew it would be in the wash. <laughs> Why is Houston playing to sorry. You know, they'd be in the wash uh on a on a Saturday slate. So, I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But yeah, I I just I sent that to one of my Yankees buddies, like uh, the the thing about you know Orioles being weak or whatever, and he was like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Like you know to the guy, I was like, "I thought it was just I thought it was just I thought it was just baseball in April." I got the month wrong earlier. I thought it was just baseball in April to to walk Miguel Cabrera, and now it's not just baseball. So it's not just fans; it's media people. So come on, be better. That's all I'm. You know, be better. Don't you know. As my dad would say, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. So, they, uh, they, they have, I think they all got to eat crow. That's that's the only thing I want to say at the end of this. I think they all have to eat crow. Okay, Cody. Anything else you want to get into before uh, you know the season comes to its merciful end? Um, I think I think that covers it for this week. We will have a lot to digest both next next week and all off season as we try to figure out what in the world happens now. I don't think it's going to be a boring offseason. But, hey, since we give out flowers, Tigers were playing some pretty good baseball. Yes. They won six in a Is row. Scott Harris they the were, best They GM? won eight of nine. I mean, it was it was nice. I enjoyed that as a writer. Just people weren't as miserable there for, for a week or so. Um, excited. I'll be in Seattle for the season finale. Uh, I've never been to Seattle, so I'm excited cool. for that trip. Uh, they already clinched. I was a little bummed. I was hoping they'd clinch against the Tigers. Just sucks. That would have been a cool environment to see. But yeah, it'll be good. All right. Well, can't wait to hear about the last couple of games of the season, exit interviews, final thoughts, all that stuff. Uh, we'll have that here on the podcast at Turn Cor- at Turning Turn Corner Pod is the Twitter account. As I try to fumble through saying that, you can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Please subscribe rate and review apple spotify subscribe to the athletic if you have not done so already so for cody stavenhagen i am kieran steckley everybody enjoy the last bits of the 2022 detroit tiger season